Chapter 2 Frank wakes in the early hours of the morning to the sunlight shining into his eyes. He groans and curses the fact that Murdoch doesn't have curtains. The man in question is sound asleep on his shoulder, arm laid across his chest. Frank hates how comfortable he feels with this. Last week he had started a fistfight with Red when he ruined one of his sting operations and let his target get away. Now he was cuddled up to him in bed as if things were domestic. And the thing is, he doesn't hate it. It's been so long since he let himself sleep with another body, let himself take comfort in this way, and it makes him think of Maria, and it splits him open. His slowly scabbing over wounds tear open again to trickle out new blood. Christ. He curses slowly, and rubs a hand over his face. But even through all of this, he feels a sense of contentment and peace, and he fucking hates it. Needing space, he moves out from under Murdoch and scoots to the edge of the bed. Red turned towards Frank, seeking him out, even in his sleep. He curls around Frank's pillow and sighs contentedly. Something in him warms at the image Red makes, soft and sleepy and looking for him, wanting him, needing him in a way no one does these days. Frank quickly turns away from him and throws himself into a set of push-ups, then sit-ups, anything to force his mind away from the situation. He's so focused on his workout that he almost misses when Red wakes. But he feels drowsiness suddenly, and he falters for a moment, and he notices Red sitting up. Good morning, Red greets, and Frank just grunts in reply. They get ready together, and the mad scuffle they had the last two days settles more smoothly into a routine. They take turns showering, each of them sitting on the toilet, waiting for their turn. Frank isn't a shy person, and nudity never bothered him. He was in the Marines, for Christ's sake. But that doesn't mean he was blind, either. Red looks good. He knew this. He had seen him in the suit, and it did little to hide his physique. But seeing him naked is something else. He's littered in almost more scars than Frank himself, and that's impressive. His eyes linger on one on his hip that looks deep and painful. He's pulled from his thoughts when Murdoch wraps a towel around himself and says, Shower's yours. He flushes with shame at the fact that he was staring. Christ, just because Red was blind didn't give him carte blanche to creep on him. He undresses quickly and shuts the shower door, glad for the wall between them, no matter how flimsy it was. It felt like every wall he put up around himself was coming down, and he couldn't build them back up fast enough. He hears Red make a choked-off sound, and Frank pointedly thinks about something else. They hadn't talked about it, so he didn't know how much Murdoch hears. But it's moved up to the first thing on the list to discuss. He needs to find a way to take control of this. Everything's been spiraling out of his control, and he needs to take back the reins. When he gets out of the shower, Red's already dressed and waiting for Frank to do the same so they can eat. Once they sit down for breakfast, Murdoch broaches the subject head-on, like he does everything else. I don't hear everything, he starts hesitantly. But when Frank doesn't speak, he continues. It only snatches every once in a while. Frank feels guilt and nervousness settle over him, and he has no idea why he's feeling that. None of this is even remotely his fucking fault. Red was the one to grab the stupid magic ball, not him. So he angrily tries to shove the emotions down. If anything, the guilt only intensifies. I'm sorry, Red chokes out, and he does look truly remorseful. And that's when the idea hits him. He isn't the one feeling guilty and nervous. It's Red and he's tuned into it like a radio, the same way Red's tuned into him, just a slightly different frequency. Shit, he groans, and lays his face in his hands. 
When he looks up, Red looks even more crestfallen, so he tells him, It's not just you. I think I'm feeling your emotions. Shock flits over Red's face. Anger, too, before he quickly shuts that down. Good fucking luck with that. Frank only has inklings about what the other man's feeling. Red has a direct line to his fucking thoughts. If anyone has it worse here, it's Frank. Frank pushes down his anger and sighs. We don't know how long this is going to last. We need to deal with this shit, manage it, or compartmentalize or some shit. And Jesus, is Frank really saying this? The guy who shuts down his issues so hard that he pretends they don't exist? Red must hear part of that because he laughs a little bit, and the good humor he feels by association relaxes him too. Do you want me to ignore everything I hear? Red asks. I have a lot of experience with that. I hear pretty much everything in a four-block radius, and I've gotten good at... Frank interrupts. If it's private, yeah. But if it's not, you can talk about it. He's stuck with the other man, and ignoring everything is just going to bottleneck it all until it explodes on them. Matt's shoulders relax, and a small smile makes its home on his lips. Okay, the same goes for me. The rest of breakfast passes calmly, and Frank thinks for a moment that maybe they can make it through this. Open the damn door, Strange! Frank yells for the fifth time as Murdoch grasps his shoulder and says, Frank, you're making a scene. Maybe we should... Maybe he should open the damn door if he doesn't want me to break it down. Murdoch's not wrong. People are stopping to stare and whisper. But right now, Frank doesn't give a shit. He wants this solved now. He may have an uneasy alliance with Red, but that doesn't mean he wants to be stuck like this for longer than he has to be. Just as he goes to pound on the door again, it swings open, and he almost hits Wong in the face. His fist stops in midair, momentum stopped. And has Frank mentioned he hates magic? Gangs? Fine. Aliens? He can deal with. But fucking magic? It's the worst. Gentlemen, may I ask why you've been pounding on my door for the last ten minutes? Wong says, a smile on his face, but murder in his eyes. If you would have opened the damn door sooner, we wouldn't have... Frank starts, before Murdoch steps in. We're sorry. We've had a bit of a magical mishap, and we were hoping Stephen could help us out. Wong looks at them searchingly for a moment, before moving out of the doorway and letting them in. Walking inside feels like walking into a storm. All the hairs on the back of Frank's neck stand up, with the excess energy in the air from all the goddamn magic. Red rests a hand on his back comfortingly, and Frank hates himself a little as he leans into it, relaxes a bit as Red's calm washes over him. He takes a deep breath and tries to let it suffuse him. Unfortunately, Dr. Strange is busy right now, but I might be able to help you with your problem, Wong says. Not waiting for a further invitation, Matt pulls out the little blue sphere that caused all this shit. We encountered this on patrol, and Frank and I touched it while it was giving off energy. You're the one who got them touched it. You just dragged me along for the ride, Frank mutters. But Red ignores him. Some sort of bond has formed between us now, he finishes. Wong hums and reaches for the orb, careful to only touch the rag it's wrapped in. This does not look familiar. I will have to do some research, he says, as he examines the artifact, eyes wandering over the geometric designs carved into it. Tell me more about this bond. Matt does, and Frank stays silent during the explanation. When he finishes, Wong runs his hands through the air and circles light up around them. Frank immediately grits his teeth and tenses, and Matt just holds his shoulder in a solid grip. It's a heavy, reassuring weight that grounds him. When the glowing lines disappear, Wong meets his eyes. You do seem to be bonded, 
but it does not seem to be doing any harm that I can tell, despite the forced proximity and the sharing of thoughts. It's not drawing energy from either of you, and there is no dark presence either. Is there anything you can do to help? Matt asks, and Frank's gut sinks as Wong shakes his head. I cannot undo what has been done without more information about the artifact, but I might be able to help you guard your thoughts better. Frank's heart jumps in his chest at the glimmer of hope, and he turns his attention to Wong to hear him out. It turns out meditation is the key to shielding their thoughts in what little way they could. Matt had already been doing this for years, and it came easy to him. It didn't come easy to Frank. For a man that could be so focused on one thing, he could lose sight of everything else. His mind was disordered, and he had trouble concentrating enough to tune it out. God fucking damn it! This isn't working! Frank says, and stands up from where he has been sitting on the floor. Every time I think I have it locked down, something pops up and I lose focus. How the hell am I supposed to do this all day, every day? Matt is a little frustrated himself. His head is ringing, both from Frank's yelling and the angry thoughts filling his head. Can you just stop for one minute, Frank? Matt snaps. Frank steps right into Matt's space and shoves him. That's the problem, Red. I can't stop. Matt growls, anger roaring up inside of him. Back off, Frank! Suddenly Frank is incandescent, and he throws a punch, and Matt is so blindsided that it actually connects. Having had enough, Matt roars and tackles Frank around the waist and slams him to the floor. He gets a few hits to Frank's face before he reacts. When he does, he sends a sucker punch to Matt's gut that bends him over and steals the air from his lungs. In the second that Matt's incapacitated, Frank rolls them over and sends a punch to Matt's face that connects and hits his nose. He can feel blood pouring down his face. Having had enough, Matt grabs Frank's fists in one hand and stops it midair. Frank grunts and brings his other hand up to hit Matt, but he grabs that one too. Matt wrestles back enough control to realize he isn't shielding, and Frank and he are in some kind of feedback loop. With a gargantuan effort, he calms himself down and blocks his half of the bond. But while he's distracted, Frank decides the best thing to do with the time he's given is headbutt him. Matt curses, but keeps his grip on Frank, and flips them over so the other man is under him. Frank, we're bouncing our anger off each other, making it worse. We both need to calm down. For a second, Matt thinks Frank will ignore him. But after a few deep breaths, Frank's body sags, and Matt releases his arms and rolls off of him. Matt reaches up and touches his nose, and he feels an inkling of guilt come from Frank. Shit, did I break your nose? He asks. Matt's nose is sore, but the cartilage is intact, so he sighs and says, No, Frank, I'm fine. He hears Frank get up and move from the living room to the kitchen. He comes back with a rag and says, Sit up and tilt your head back. Matt complies, and Frank presses a rag to Matt's nose and says, Well, that escalated quickly. No shit, Matt says, but it comes out muffled from his nose being covered. They're silent for a few minutes until Matt's nose stops bleeding. Frank takes the rag away and says, Any ideas how to stop that from happening again? Matt sighs and says, This is why you need to be able to shut off your side of the bond, Frank. Well, if you got any ideas on how I can do that, I'm all ears red. Matt sits quietly for a moment and thinks about how he learned. He wasn't always good at meditating. When he was young, he could only find that focus in movement. When he was fighting. Have you heard of moving meditation? he asks. Frank cuffs out a laugh. I don't know what about me makes you think I know anything about meditation. Matt sighs and rubs his head before standing up. He reaches a hand out to Frank and pulls him up. 
Movement can give the body something to focus on, help the meditative process. What, I'm just supposed to walk around while I do it? Frank asks, sounding skeptical. No, most people who do it do a kata or some other choreographed motion to have something structured to focus on. Hate to break it to you, Red, but I don't know any fancy martial arts dances. Matt smiles at that answer. It's so perfectly frank. That's why I'm going to teach you one. Matt thinks for a moment and decides on one of the first ones Stick ever taught him. He slowly goes through the motions, and after he finishes, he says, Now copy me. They run through it a couple of times together, and then Matt has Frank run it by himself. He stops him occasionally to correct his form. When Matt adjusts Frank's hips, the other man's heartbeat picks up and Matt blushes too. But he stays firmly where he is, because this isn't sexual, and Frank needs to learn this correctly. Matt has to make a few more minor corrections, but after a half hour of running through it, Frank has it. Well, Frank, I think that's as good as it's going to get. You better watch out, Red, Frank says, his voice filled with mirth. Now that I know some of your ninja moves, I'm gonna come out on top next time we fight. The statement startles a genuine laugh out of Matt. We'll see, Frank, Matt says, smile still firmly on his face. Now run through it again and focus all your attention on your movements. It isn't instantaneous, but the moving meditation does work for Frank. He feels guilty when he sees Matt's swollen nose and the bruises forming on his cheek. He usually has better control over his temper than that. It's usually Red who breaks and starts these type of things. And even after Frank hurt him, Matt still helped him with this meditation bullshit. Thanks, Matt, Frank says, and Red looks at him, startled. Frank is offended for a moment. He knows how to show gratitude. He's done it before. But then he realizes what he said. He'd called him Matt instead of his customary Red or Murdoch. It feels intimate somehow, and Frank makes a note not to do it again. Matt's smile lights his face up, and it's so big it crinkles the corners of his eyes. He's seen a lot of red smiles these last few days, some of them even directed at him. He decides right then that this one is his favorite. Matt's dreaming. He's at the carousel in Central Park, and for some reason, this is one of the rare dreams in which he can see. The day is bright, and he feels happy. He wonders where his dad is. He used to take him here, and Matt is hungry for the sight of his face. He looks to his left, and he is startled to see a woman he doesn't recognize, her brown hair curling slightly and framing her kind face. He looks to the right, and he sees two young children, a boy and a girl. Matt feels like he's going to throw up. This is Frank's dream, and somehow he's here experiencing it. He knows what's going to happen. He tries to speak, to get them to leave the park, do anything he can to stop this but his attempts are useless. He sits trapped in Frank's body and watches as the worst day of his life unfolds. His heart breaks as he watches Frank's family get gunned down. He waits for the bullet to hit Frank, for him to pass out, but it never comes. Frank sits there amongst his dying family, his little girl in his arms, and he's trying to stop the bleeding, trying to keep her alive, but there is so much blood and there's no way she'll make it, but still he tries. Then... A miracle happens. The sound of an ambulance. Paramedics arrive, and they take his family away to the hospital, Frank riding with them. Time skips, and he's in a room with his daughter and son, and they're alive. He feels a sense of elation that must be Frank's, clashing with the despair he feels himself. If only this could have been what really happened. The day saved, his family alive, whole, unbroken. A universe in which Frank himself never falls apart 
never has the hole in him where everything that ever meant anything to him was so cruelly ripped away. The dream starts to fade, and Matt finds himself awake in bed. He wants Frank to still be sleeping, still in that happy mirage where everything is good. But he hears Frank call out, Maria? And he knows it's over for Frank, too. Frank turns to look at him, and his heart stutters, and his breathing catches. He can smell salt in the air. Frank, Matt starts quietly, all the care he can muster coloring his voice. It's okay. You're fine. Frank sits up in bed and turns his back to him. He wants to say we'll get through this, but it gets stuck behind the lump in his throat. Instead, he puts a hand on Frank's shoulder and asks, What do you need? Frank laughs bitterly. You saw it, didn't you, Red? I felt you there. You saw my most fervent wish. I live it. I'm elated. Frank's voice cracks when he says, And then I wake up and it's all gone. Matt scoots forward and wraps him in an embrace, desperate to do anything to comfort him. But Frank pushes him away and leaves the bed, stands and says, I can't do this right now, and makes his way to the bathroom and shuts the door. Matt hears his thoughts spiraling. Frank's too distressed to block them out. So Matt sits there, hearing every wretched thought, and feels helpless to do anything. Frank doesn't come back to bed, and neither of them sleeps any more that night.